Hello and welcome to an all new episode of the Spotlight Hollywood Edition. I am one of your hosts, Kente, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tara Lynn. How are you doing, Tara? Hey, Kente, I am doing great. Thanks. Yes, it's been a great start of the week. Uh, we had a great show yesterday on Mars Venus, and we're just building on that tonight. I'm looking forward to our guests and uh, and actually the rest of the week. We have a good week leading up to next week, which will be Thanksgiving. Do you have any big Thanksgiving plans? You know, uh, I go to my husband's for dinner at 1, and I go to my family's for dinner at 5. So it's like a marathon of eating all day long. I love it too. <laughs> Guilt free eating yeah. at that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, um, wait, uh, I got a question for you. Do sure. you eat turkey any other time of the year besides Thanksgiving? Like the big full fixings? You know what? Maybe once, once a year, other than Thanksgiving, I probably get a turkey like that. Um, <laughs> maybe Easter, I guess. Sometimes on Christmas, I. I've had a turkey like that, but generally it's it's pretty much Thanksgiving. Yeah. One, yeah. It's funny. We were talking about that, that we really don't do it any other time of the year. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I guess that's what makes it so special, right? Yeah. So thankful. <laughs> yeah. All right. So our guest tonight is the actor Mark Hildreth and uh, from the show Resurrection. We have a clip from the show. So we're going to play the clip and on the other side, we'll be talking to him. All right. to go by the house to get a few things. That okay? Your house too. Are you leaving? I resigned this morning. Can I ask why? This church wants a pastor who preaches a traditional Christian message. I don't know if I'm that guy anymore. You've lost your faith. I tell people all the time, give your grief and your sorrow over to God. Let him carry the burden. What if the real reason I'm preaching that is because that's what I need to hear? That just means you practice what you preach. Just something I got to figure out on my own. You know, maybe you should start your own church. Something smaller, without all the politics. You never like preaching to big crowds anyway. And that was from Resurrection, and we are now with our guest, Mark Hildreth. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, man, this season of Resurrection has been awesome. We're, I've really, really enjoyed it, and uh, it must be a lot of fun playing uh, playing on that show. Oh, thank you so much. It, it's, uh, it's a blast, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's been a, a, a bigger success than probably anybody would have guessed and uh you know we have a, such a great cast and a great group of people we really are like a little bit of a family so it's uh it's so nice to go to work and work with people you love you know yeah that that must be awesome now we're going to talk a lot about the show on this episode of uh, the spotlight hollywood edition but before we do that we always like to start off in the beginning so mark where are you from originally i was born and raised in uh, vancouver canada which is on the uh, the west coast of Canada. It's about a, as far away from anywhere in the, <laughs> the U.S. as you can get. It's right up in the corner of the country. It's about a 
a three-hour drive north of Seattle. Now, now let me ask you a, a question. Being that you're from Vancouver, was you a big fan of the Vancouver Grizzlies? You know, that's a real sore spot for us because <laughs> there was a lot of fans. There was a lot of fans of the Vancouver Grizzlies, man, and, and uh, you know, we we were really excited. I'm a, I'm a big sports fan, and, and obviously because I'm Canadian, I'm a big hockey fan, and I love the Vancouver Canucks, and I've been a Canucks fan since, you know, 1994, uh, you know, when we went to the, the Stanley Cup Finals against the New York Rangers and lost in Game 7, and mm. we got a great, uh, we got a great uh, history, a great tradition of sports in Vancouver. And, yeah, we loved the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies were great, you know, and, and it was so exciting to have basketball, you know, just outside of Toronto mm-hmm. um, in Canada. But, uh, man, it was, it was rough when they left. Everybody, uh, you know, everybody really wanted them there, and um, it was unfortunate that that happened. But uh, yeah, that while they were there, it was it was great. Yeah, and you know what sucks is that they're, they're so good now, too. So that must stick the knife in a little bit deeper. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that, that's true. But they were they were pretty stinky for a long time, though. That's true. <laughs> I remember big country, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I remember big country. Yeah. <laughs> Now, um, at what point did you realize that you had like, an artistic sensibility, uh, you know, that you wanted to act and also sing as well? Uh, what age was that? That's funny, you know, because I was just talking to somebody about that today, and, you know, he, he knows my uh, my mom, and he was asking my mom, you know, so, so you know, when do you think Mark uh, wanted to be an actor? And, and she's like, I don't know, in the womb, probably? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I I wanted to act as... I mean, as long as I can remember, when I was five years old, I, I, um, when I was in kindergarten, I, I went up to the music teacher at my, uh, my elementary school, you know, and I said, look, you know, I want to be in the, in the, in the school musical. And I think she kind of laughed and was like, huh, okay. And they let me audition and, uh, and they cast me as the littlest penguin in Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the the last one you know in the line who kind of like you know flirts with mary poppins and kind of you know is just a little troublemaker and, and from all i can remember is you know i just came out on stage and i was like waving to my mom in the audience and like i didn't know what was going on you know what i mean right but but i loved it and it, it just felt like for whatever reason that felt like home and i don't really know what to make of that you know maybe if you believe in past lives maybe i was maybe i was an actor and in a past life or, or, you know, I, I, it's hard to say that nature versus nurture thing, but as long as I can remember, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to be an actor, that I was an actor and that, uh, and, and music as well. I've been singing since I was really little and I taught myself Beethoven when I was 10 years old on the piano. And, um, and I guess that, uh, if it's a bug you catch, I caught it pretty early. <laughs> now, um, with the music, did you have any uh, inspiration around you? Well, my grandparents on my mom's side, my mom's mom and dad, uh, were both born deaf. Oh, wow. Um, so when I was little, I, I had to learn sign language to talk to them. And, um, you know, probably when I was six or seven or eight, um, I started to bash around on the piano we had. My mom and dad had a piano in the house. Uh, and I don't know, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm making a leap, but for whatever reason, I, I kind of feel like, you know, what they, what they didn't get in terms of, you know, a, 
musical, you know, ability to, to appreciate music because obviously they couldn't hear it. Um, you know, maybe I got a little extra of or something because I just, you know, I just kind of stood there at the, the piano and um, it, it felt right. It always felt right. It just, it, it was something that I, I was never, um, it was never something I had to do. You know, it was never something my parents made me sit through lessons or nothing like that. It was always something that I just wanted to do. And I, you know, I played the piano. I don't play it as much as I used to, but I played the piano probably for an hour a day, at least for 10, 15 years, just because I love to play, you know? Um, so I don't know. I think it was, uh, it was a, a love of that expression, you know, that, that really, um, that I, I found. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, it seems like when you find that in something, whether it's music or whatever it is, you know, it, it's, it's sort of an inexhaustible source of inspiration, you know? And who uh, were your musical, who did you like in music growing up? Well, my dad played a lot of music in the house. So probably my dad's my biggest influence. And, you know, and just the fact that my mom and dad supported me that way and, and you know, had a piano around. And, and they always said to me when I was little um, about acting and music and, and pretty much everything, they were like, you know what? If you love to do it and it makes you happy, we'll do everything we can do. We'll bend over backwards to support you. And they really did. You know, I've been working professionally since I was eight years old. Um, so, you know, they're driving me to auditions. They're driving me to TV sets and to theaters and all these things. Meanwhile, Those are good know, parents. Of, and meanwhile, I'm the oldest of four boys. No. So <laughs> it's not just me. You know, they're driving them to soccer practice and hockey and all this stuff. But they always said, you know, if you love it, and it makes you happy. We'll do whatever we can to support you. And the moment it stops making you happy, quit and do something else. You don't need to feel like you have to act or you have to do music or you have to be famous or you have to be liked or you have to have money or any of that stuff. You know, that's not what happiness is about. So, you know, that, that I think is probably the best advice I've ever gotten because um, I just played music because I love it. Um, and, and I was lucky enough to, you know, to grow up in a place and to have parents who could support me and to, you know, to be in a place like Vancouver that has a film industry growing up around me as I'm a kid, you know, um, that I was able to work like that. But my mom and dad are, you know, the biggest influence. And my dad used to play old records in the house, you know, like vinyl records, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like Elton John and Billy Joel and Bob Seger and John Lennon and, you know, those kind of people, um, Paul Simon and, and the, the great, you know, artists of the, the 70s and then, you know, and later in the 80s. But uh, I think that was probably my, my, my two biggest influences of music are definitely, you know, Elton John and Stevie Wonder. And Stevie Wonder, like, if I can do a tenth of 1% of what he did with music, I would consider myself a huge success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love Stevie Wonder. And if you ever have... Or- blessed to ha- see him live you it's an experience you'll never forget mm-hmm. he i mean that man i have seen him live and i i actually saw him in the same venue as um in vancouver he came to play this was a little while ago but i saw um i saw him play at uh you know one of the big stadiums there in vancouver and you know when he came out you know he when he walks out on the stage it's just, of course the crowd goes crazy, but there's the, like there's this there's this sense of reverence. There's this sense of 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 there's a, a a presence or something, you know, that he has. That as soon as he walks out, you know, the the air in the room changes. 
Yeah. Um, and, and very soon after that, in the same stadium, I saw the Dalai Lama be no given way. Uh, an, uh, an honorary citizenship of Canada. So I'm sitting in the same venue, and the Dalai Lama walks out, and it's the same feeling, man. It's like the same feeling. In the, it's like there's this presence, and I was like, that's amazing. You know, he's oh, got yeah. something going on inside, you know, and it was like, it was like the same experience, and I, I'll never forget it. Magical. So when, when you were younger, which kind of took over more, music or acting? Well, acting's always come first um, because I never made any money for music. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not entirely true, but... Um, no, I mean, acting, was, acting was, was, was always my first love. You know, it was what I wanted to do. Even as a four- or five-year-old, you know, I, I knew I wanted to... Uh, uh, the, the story that, that my dad, you know, tells me, of course, I don't remember all this, but, you know, apparently we were, uh, <clears throat> we were in the car together, and I must have been about five, maybe six years old, uh, and there was an ad that came over the radio, and it was like an open casting call, you know, for... <laughs> We're looking for, you know, five to ten-year-old, you know, blonde-haired boys to play the son of Pinkerton and Butterfly in the opera Madame Butterfly. Hmm. And um, apparently I was insistent that I wanted to go and do this. Somehow I, I understood what this was. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and my dad's like, oh, really? Uh, I don't know, you know. Uh, they don't, my mom and dad don't come from the theater or entertainment or acting or anything like that. My mom is an artist. She's a, actually a, a really amazing um, uh, painter. And uh, my dad's a teacher. He was a public school teacher for 30 years. So, you know, I, I just said, I want to I do that. And so he takes me down there and I audition and I get the role. So there I am, like a five-year-old boy, um, and, you know, in front <laughs> in of Madame 1,100 Butterfly. people every night in the opera of Madame Butterfly, you know, two and a half hours every night in the Queen Elizabeth Theater in, in Vancouver, um, you know, every night being, being screamed at in a, you know, by some amazing Italian soprano <laughs> and, uh, and some, somehow that, <laughs> that seemed like a good idea to me. So, um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of, you know, how that all started. And then, uh, very soon I started doing commercials and movies and movies of the week and TV series. And then as a teenager, I'm in and out of school and I'm, I'm working and, and I've been working, you know, pretty much my whole life, but that sort of came first and, and music came after, but I, you know, it's, I, I can't pick one. It's sort of like a Sophie's Choice for me because I love them both and they're both very different um, mm -hmm. from each other. But, um, you know, one thing I do love about music that, uh, that I haven't had at least as much experience in uh, with acting is, uh, you know, I get to tell my own stories in my own words. Um, whereas with acting, you, you, you know, you tend to be telling somebody else's story, uh, with their words, um, which is a very different process that I really love, but, uh, there's something about, you know, writing and, and singing your own stuff that, you know, gets really close to your heart. And I, I really love that. N now, just the feeling of how it touches others. Well, right. Performing, performing live, whether it's in theater or whether it's, you know, in a concert, there's nothing like that. Um, it's so great. I mean, you know, the, the, the projects that I've, that I've been lucky enough to, to work on, you know, in film and TV, radio and, and um, you know, in animation and, 
you know, I've done a little bit of pretty much everything. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're wonderful and it's amazing to see, you know, their success and the scope of them, you know, how many tens of millions of people watch, you know, something like resurrection. Um, but it's a, it's a very different thing when it's, when it's live, you know, when you're up there and you're singing a song and there's, you know, say those, those 200 people or those 50 people or however many, you know, are in that venue right then, right at that time, it'll never be done again. You know, and, and if you were there, you were there. And if you weren't, you weren't. And that, yeah, there's something real special about that and, and really getting the real feedback, you know, right there in the moment of, uh, I always feel like when you, when you perform live, the, the audience is a character. The audience is in the show. Mm-hmm. You can't not be. We're all in the room together, you know? And I've never felt like it's like me up here performing and you out there watching. I always feel like there's a symbiotic thing that goes on. And the audience informs the performance, you know what I mean? Because we're all in the same room together. And that's a, that's a very special thing that, that exists in film and TV, but, but not in the same way. Now, um, definitely something we must talk about is your voice work. And you started... So, you started, um, how many records now do you have released? Uh, I've released two full-length records um, on iTunes and at, uh, at my website on Um and uh, they're kind of like a pop R&B mix. If you can imagine a sound kind of right in between Elton John and Stevie Wonder, that's, that's usually how I describe it. It's, uh, it's kind of like Elton John with a little more R&B. I like that. Uh-huh. I like that. Very nice. I like that a lot. Um, now, something that we must talk about is your voice work. And you started uh, voice acting at a very young age. Um, you, uh, it looks like your first foray into voice acting was uh, Beanie and Cecil? The reboot? Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, uh, yeah, I got cast by, um, this wonderful woman named Marcia Goodman, who is a voiceover director for a long time in LA. And, and she's still friends with me and my family and, you know, and, and her and my mom and dad, you know, still spend time together. And she's kind of like a second mom to me, but she, uh, she gave me my very first voiceover job, and yeah, they did a reboot of the the old Bob Clampett cartoon, Beanie and Cecil from the fifties, about the sea animal. You know what I mean? The the sea creature mm-hmm. who and the little boy with the beanie cap. Uh-huh. And uh, and so yeah, I, I, here I am, and I'm playing, you know, this character, and you know, I, I'm I'm acting with these like you know zany like bizarre you know <laughs> characters, voiceover actors, and little do I know. You know, that I find out later that it's Billy West and Maurice LaMarche and a bunch of other incredible actors. Maurice, you know, just won mm-hmm. like two Emmys in a row for voiceover acting for Futurama, and uh-huh. which he does with Billy West and, you yeah. know, has played Inspector Gadget and has, you know, was on Pinky and the Brain and like, you know, all these like, you know, <laughs> like seminal <laughs> voiceover performances <laughs> that to me he was just this like whack job you know he's just this crazy guy <laughs> so I'm 10 years old and they're just like making all these voices and having so much fun and I was like this is amazing like you can go to work in your pajamas you know, <laughs> thing I ever saw in my life you know but they're you know they were so wonderful they were so nurturing of me and so supportive of me and you know and, and it's a whole other world voiceover it's uh voiceover and animation is uh it's a very specialized skill you know and uh it takes a certain kind of a certain kind of person to really pull it off, and people like you know Maurice and, and Billy and some of the other people I've gotten to work with, uh, mm-hmm. they're they're real pros. You know, it's not just child's play, so to speak. It it really takes a 
uh, a discipline and a skill and, and, you know, you gotta be real funny and you gotta have lots of energy and yeah, I've been lucky to, to do a, a lot of animation, um, and, uh, and voiceover stuff. And it's, uh, it's pretty fun. Now, the one that, uh, that if I don't mention, I'll be shot <laughs> is uh dragon ball Z, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot of, a lot of people really love. What was that experience like working on that? Yeah. You know, it's those, uh, there's a couple projects that I've done in, uh, anime, um, where, uh, you are, you know, you're, you're performing to animation that's already been, uh, created. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the projects that I've done have been, uh, what they call prelay, which is where you record the voice first and then they animate to what you, uh, you know, to what you, to how you perform it. Um, but Dragon Ball Z was, uh, was, was one of the projects where the animation was, was already done. So it's, it's an interesting challenge because you gotta, you gotta match uh, in a sense, somebody else's performance, something that's already been done, and a lot of times it's a translation. Um, so you're doing it in English for the first time, and uh, it's um, it's tough. I got to say, it's a, it's a that's a tough job, you know, because you, you along with trying to give the performance you're trying to give, you gotta you have to match, uh, you know, the animation, and it has to be exact or else it looks terrible. But um, the the Dragon Ball Z uh, stuff that I've done has been very well received and. There's another project uh, that we did, you know, 52 episodes and two movies of uh, in the same vein um, called Gundam Wing. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is a, a massive, you know, massive, I mean, massive, massive franchise uh, in Japan. And it's pretty huge over here uh, stateside as well. But, you know, I played the lead role in, in that project, a character called Hero. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's been really well received. And it, they're very different than than sort of normal American cartoons because there's, there's drama in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not all just crazy, wacky, you know, um, uh, cartoon characters. You know, it, some of it gets like, you know, you need to actually try to really perform it and bring some drama to it and bring some, some weight, some seriousness to it. And uh, I'd never done that before, you know, in, in cartoons. So that was, that was a pretty cool challenge. Now, um, for a lot of voice actors actually listen to this show or uh, young aspiring voice actors, what is some advice you can give them as as far as getting into the industry as well as honing their craft as well? Well, you know, I always honestly, I'll say the first thing I say to anybody who wants to get into acting, whatever capacity it is, it could be voiceover theater, film, TV, whatever, it doesn't matter. The first thing I always say is, you know, uh, it is, it is, um, it, it's, a, it's gotta be a labor of love. If you are, if you want to get into acting cause you want to get famous or you want to get acclaim or you just want to make a lot of money and all those types of things, it's tough, man. It is a tough racket because, um, you know, I was, I was actually with this, I was having a discussion with somebody about, um, you know, they, they, they have these statistics, you know, that, uh, that come out, for example, you know, with the, the, the actors union and they'll, they'll come up with the numbers of like, you know, how, uh, how, you know, people are doing. And, and obviously there, you know, there are, there are actors who do very well. Um, and, and that's of course what we're all shooting for. Um, you know, but, but it's also important to, to recognize that, um, of all the actors, you know, on the roster, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the on in the union in the U.S., 
5% of the actors in the union make a living from just acting. Mm. So that means 95% of us, you know, have to do something else, you know, to, to make a living if we want to be acting. That's not something to, that, you know, that's not something to turn somebody off of acting necessarily, but that's what I mean is like, it's got to be a labor of love. It's got to be something that you're willing to sacrifice, you know, a lot of things for. You might have to have a second job or a third job or, you know, I mean, I've been acting since I was very little and, and, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge, you know, you've got to go through a lot of stuff and you've got to develop a thick skin and it's not necessarily what it looks like from the outside, you know, this sort of glamorous, easy life. It really isn't. It's a very difficult thing and not for the reasons you expect, you know, it's not exactly like hard labor. Um, you know, I know people <laughs> whose jobs are much harder than mine, mm -hmm. but the possibility of real success, the possibility of really, you know, just making a living, never mind, you know, making good money. Um, it's, it's a, it's a real tough industry. That being said, um, what I've found is kind of like what I was saying about music. If you really love something, you can't really get away from it and you do it anyway. You know, and that's, that's where I, uh, that's, that's how I relate with it. You know, I, I started in the theater and I was classically trained, you know, as an actor, um, studied Shakespeare, all of those things. And, uh, I, I love it so much. I, I, you know, I, I can't see myself not doing it. Right. Um, you know, I, 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 I could be happy doing other things. I could be perfectly happy, you know, doing all kinds of other things. But, um, like, to me, it's worth it. You know, I really love doing it, and that really sustains me, you know, because when you work for, a, you know, when you've been an actor for a long time, you see some, some really great times, you know, and, and where I'm, what I'm experiencing right now, I'm very lucky to be experiencing it, you know, to be working on the shows that I'm working on and to be working with the people I'm working with, that's very, very rare and very fortunate uh, in many ways, you know. But to get that, you have to endure the lean times also, which right. everybody does. And I always find it funny, you know, when you read in the newspaper or whatever, you know, you know, actor becomes overnight success or whatever. <laughs> right. That, that's just never the case, man. That's just never <laughs> the case. Because even if that was their first job, there was a whole life they lived. Right. You know, before they landed that job. So... I, I honestly, I, I try to be, you know, very careful not to sound cynical and not to put people off their dreams. In fact, I'm actually trying to encourage people to go for their dreams because if you really love it, um, you know, you're going to do it no matter what and you're going to find a way. You know what I mean? You're going mm -hmm. to you're gonna make a voice demo in your basement. You know, you're going you're gonna to find a friend who can help you put it together. You're going to go find someone who can teach you and you're going to take classes, and you're going to go after it, and you're going to do whatever it takes to get the money together to take those classes. You know, you're going to call agents. You're going to look up the local voiceover, the agencies that have a voiceover agent in your local town, and if there isn't one there, you're going to find the closest one to you. And that, that means you've got to go to them, and you've got to travel to that city for a meeting. You're going to get in your car, and you're going to drive those hours to go there, and you're going to bring that tape unit, you know what I mean? And you're going to uh -huh. gather letters of reference, and you're going to try to make projects on your own, you know, just put together projects. And you're going to find those people at the local university or the local college, you know, who are making short films or they're making animation. Pro you know what I mean? There's many options. But the thing you need the most is you need that love of it that goes beyond wanting to be famous or want to be liked or wanting to make a lot of money. That's not enough to sustain you for what it takes to be an actor, really, That's in right. my opinion. You're you know? right. So, like, you got to keep that sort of flame burning. And as long as you got that, then it's just, you know what I mean? Then it's, you, just, you just go and do whatever it takes to, you know, to get where you want to go.
I'm smiling big right now. You can just hear your passion about what you do. I, I think it will spread to many. Um, besides the animations, uh, you've done voice work for video games. Uh huh. And are you? Did, were you a gamer yourself, or did they just? Uh, yeah, I guess I was a gamer. I was. <laughs> I was. Uh, I mean, you know, when I was, you know, when when I was fourteen or fifteen, you know, we got a Nintendo. You know what I mean? We had a we had a Nintendo sixty four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems ancient now. It's like I got more like I got more memory in my watch now than we had in those consoles, you know. But but yeah, I I, uh, I love Zelda. You know, Zelda was my favorite game. I love the adventure games. You know, I, I was a I was a big fan of of those. So yeah, I, I mean, I played when I was a kid, and I guess I've I've played in my twenties. You know, I played some some different games. I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, the world's biggest gamer, but I, I, I've, uh, I've played my share of video games. So when I got the opportunity to work on, you know, some of them, I did one um, called Dragon Age Origins, which was great game. a pretty, uh, pretty well-received game. And, and it was fun, man, because it's, it's a different kind of work, you know, because when you're actually doing it, you know, the storyline of the game flows pretty seamlessly if you're in a good one. But when you're recording it, it sure doesn't. When you're recording it, you know, you're doing, you're doing you know, 200 different sounds of that guy dying, you know, all in a row. <laughs> you know, oh, and then it's, oh, and then it's, oh, and then it's, you know, and you're going over and over and over. But, uh, you know, it's, it can be uh, a little bit grueling. But um, but they can be a lot of fun, and it's it's a very different, it's just a different format than what you're used to. And, mm-hmm. you know, now that the gaming industry makes more than the movie industry, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's certainly not going anywhere. You know, to stay, you know, you know, you were in, in my estimation, one of the top 10 uh, video games of all time, Metal Gear Solid 4. That was a great game. I love that game. I mean, that game came out in 08. You could still play that like it's brand new. Uh, what was that like? Uh, you know, the Metal Gear games are very cinematic. They have great storylines. They do a lot to give make you feel immersed into the game. What was that like uh, working on that one? I'll tell you something funny about Metal Gear and those types of games like War Games. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll put a disclaimer up front when they're auditioning actors or when they're offering the jobs to the actors. And they'll say, you know, this job requires strenuous vocal work. <laughs> so it, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like, you know, when you, when you fly on an airplane and they're like, you know, are you willing and able to operate the emergency hatch in the case of an emergency? Like, are you will- are you willing and able to like not be able to speak for about a week and a half after you finish this job? Yes, I am. Okay, then you can come on because it's you know you're it's all screaming like you just scream through the whole you know because there's dialogue obviously too right but there's gunfire and helicopters and explosions and and they have to have some vocal performance that you know that will cut through a lot of that and a lot of the time. You know, those they need at least those versions of all those lines. So, yeah, those those jobs can be tough. You know, it it it, it might not seem like much, you know, but uh, you know, how many times in your life have you gone into a a little tiny room, you know, that's insulated so that you can't hear anything else? You're in like sort of a vacuum of sound, and somebody says, "Okay, what we're going to do is scream your head off for the next six and a half hours," and that's really <laughs> what it's like, you know, on some days. Not every day, but some days, you know, and it's uh, it's tough. It's hard work. You're you're really you're pretty spent at the end of one of those days. 
you gotta have some uh i don't know some tea or something to, to, to calm the vocal cords down at some point i guess oh my god you have like <laughs> tea and you have ginger and you got honey and lemon and you got cough drops and you've got water and some people want cold water and some people want room temperature water right <laughs> and then some people want hot water everybody's got their remedies you know they've got their little cough drops and they've got their, all kinds of things just to get through the day oh wow now um we ha- we're we've been doing this show this is our uh for about a year now and um we have to start this as a segment um much like if a, an actor has been working in New York for a, a good long period of time he's probably or he or she has probably been on an episode of law and order uh one of the law and orders well, we found that if an actor who's from Canada has been working for a long time in the industry, they've probably been in an episode of Supernatural. So this segment is called <laughs> Tell Us Your Supernatural Experience. Because <laughs> we know you had one. That's funny. that's funny. You know, that's probably true because they've only done like 9,000 episodes. Of <laughs> Um, they, they can't, I mean, they just don't stop, you know, Jared and Jensen, they just show up and go to work and they just do, I mean, it's amazing. Um, those two guys are, uh, I'll tell you something. Um, uh, uh, you know, Jared, uh, Padalecki and, and Jensen Ackles are, you know, they're, they're two of the friendliest, most professional guys, uh, you know, I've, I've ever worked with. And, you know, I just did a very small guest star. It was an important role for the episode I was in, but it mainly consisted of, you know, about four and a half or five pages of me and Jensen and Jared sitting around in a, in an interrogation room. And, um, you know, the, those two guys are, you know, they're real pros and they've been doing it a long time. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not the only one who thinks that I've spoken to a, a bunch of, a bunch of actors I know. Cause, uh, as you say, everyone in Canada has been on the show. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I know some other people who've been on that show too. And, uh, they're, um, they're very welcoming and they're very supportive, you know, of, of, uh, of the actors that come on there. And, uh, they're both just great guys, but, um, you know, it was, it was great. It was great. Actually, my experience was great. I, I got to do, uh, you know, it, as I say, it was just, it was, it was one long scene that really just set the whole episode up. And, um, and they, uh, you know, it was kind of the three of us just sat around this table under a bare light bulb and, and, and played a really intense, uh, you know, difficult, um, uh, admission of guilt. Uh, and it was, uh, it, it was a great, uh, it was, it was a great little scene and, uh, you know, they were, uh, they were very, they were pros about it. And, uh, and I was really, uh, I was, I was lucky to work with them. Yeah. And that's what everyone says is what a treat it is and how welcoming they are. So they, that's really good to, to know. Now, now, um, the show Resurrection isn't your first time playing someone as a, a clergyman. In fact, in the show Tudors, you did that as well. Yeah. So, uh, what was that like? <laughs> yeah. Great That's show, funny. by the way. I, uh, I I did a lot of research for both roles, but I did a lot of research for for Resurrection, and I wanted I wanted the I wanted the the performance to be, um, you know, at I I went up and introduced myself to the. Uh, I went to the Sunday service and introduced myself to the pastor of uh, the Second Baptist Church of Atlanta here, uh, big church uh, in in uh, you know in the middle of Atlanta, mm-hmm. and I said, "Look, I'm I'm making this show. I need some help. 
um, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm not a pastor, and uh, I'm I'm not particularly religious either. I, I grew up, you know, I went to Sunday school. Uh, you know, I, I have some uh, degree of of, of um, religion, you know, in my in my family with my grandmother, uh, you know, who's passed away. Uh, but you know, I have some I have the roots of it from my childhood. But I'm not a I'm not a practicing Christian, and you know, I'm playing a a, a pastor, and I want it to be. Uh, at least respectful, and at best, you know, accurate to to what that means. Um, and uh, so, you know, I I can I'll tell you can, you know a little bit about that um, in a second. But with respect to the tutors, uh, <laughs> he was a wonderful guy, and he's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> and one time, you know, we got to know each other very well. We went out for lunch, and then he introduced me to a whole bunch of other pastors, and I did a whole lot of work. And we, you know, we would go and have meals together, would play golf together, and, you know, I really got into their lives. And, you know, we were on the golf course one time, and he was introducing me to, you know, we were talking, to, you know, uh, me and him and a, a couple other Christian pastors, and he said, you know, Mark, this isn't Mark's first foray, you know, into uh, playing a clergyman. And they're like, oh, really, no? And he says, yeah, no, he was on another show called The Tudors, you know, where he played a, a Catholic um, uh, cardinal. <clears throat> and they were like, wow. And, and, <laughs> and then they were saying, yeah, so, you know, Really, in in the world of the clergy, um, going from uh, you know a Catholic cardinal to a Baptist pastor, you know he's he's definitely gotten a serious demotion here. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they're all Baptist pastors, so they all thought it was hilarious, you know. Um, <laughs> but the the tutors was uh, the tutors was a was a uh, a very important um, role for me in my career because I uh, <clears throat> I. I, I had I, I think uh, I would say that I hadn't I hadn't been on a show up until that point that had that uh, quality that quality of of uh, production that quality of writing um, the uh, the scripts were like nothing else I'd I'd really ever seen and the production value on that series was was really impressive mm-hmm. um, you know their costumes and their sets their cinematography. Um, you know, the, the people who produced that show, I thought really, really knocked it out of the park. Um, and as an actor, that's, that's, uh, that's such a privilege because none of that is in your control. So you just hope those things come together. And when they do, you know, you feel so, you feel so lucky, you feel so supported. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I got to spend, you know, months in, in Dublin, Ireland, uh, you know, working opposite uh, Max von Sydow, who's probably, you know, all things considered, who was in his 80s when I worked with him, uh, the most uh, professional actor uh, the, the, of anyone I've worked with in my career so far, probably the person who had the least to prove and was, a, was an absolute gentleman. Um, and, you know, we, we had a we had a scene towards the end of the season, you know, where, where you know, King Henry, Henry VIII has who's played by uh, Jonathan Reese Myers has, has, you know, basically murdered my entire, my character's entire family. And, you know, it's, it's an incredibly emotional, uh, you know, scene that, that Max sort of walks into, you know, my room and I'm just a complete mess. And, uh, you know, and Max drops a line or two and, you know, and he's apologizing to me, you know, for, for, for dropping his lines while I'm trying to, you know, you know, do this scene. And I'm like, Max, <laughs> Please don't apologize. You know, it, of all the people, I'm like the exorcist is apologizing to me. You know? <laughs> and that is a weird experience because 
because Max Max von Sydow was you know he was the priest in The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. He did eleven films with Ingmar Bergman. Right. And here he, here he is apologizing to me. You know this 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 kid from Canada or whatever. Uh, <laughs> it was it was such a it was such a great experience and it really set me up. Um, you know, in terms of my confidence and my my belief in myself, and you know my, uh, um, and, and it's 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 um, it's an awesome thing to have projects like that, um, you know, on your resume that you work for for many years to to try to get, you know, and then, um, it was a it was just it was just an awesome uh, it was just an awesome experience for me all around. Yeah, I mean, we had such a terrific cast, and Michael Hirsch is a fantastic writer, uh, and, you know, just really good, and, you know, people have gone on from that show to do quite well, so uh, Henry Cavill, who's uh, Superman right now. Uh, was, yeah, uh, he, did, he did a couple movies you might have heard of. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, you know, uh, and, and, of course, Jonathan Reese myers who knocked it out to park every every day uh, on that show or every episode. So terrific show. I I really, really appreciated that, that show. I I thought they did a a terrific job. So, uh, thank you. Yeah. All right. So resurrection, um, tell us, how did you find out about this project? Were you aware of the book and how, how did you, uh, how did the audition go? Uh, I didn't know anything about the book when I, when I first got the audition, it was, uh, I was asked to read on the project by um, a casting director who I, I met, uh, who cast the show. Her name uh, is Deborah Aquila. And uh, Deborah um, invited me to come and, and read uh, for the character of Pastor Tom, um, which I did. And, and, you know, the audition process was was, you know, nothing outside of, uh, it was pretty normal. You know, I go in and you know, you, you, I met the, I read for the, you know, the producers and the, the director of, uh, of the pilot, uh, whose name is Charles McDougal, who is maybe, maybe the best director I've ever worked with. He is a real, a real genius and, uh, and, and someone who's known for directing pilots and, and really setting up. The director of the pilot is a, is a special responsibility because you're really setting the tone and the world. You're really creating the world of this show. And if this show is going to last, you know, it's got to have the foundation of a real special world that's created by that very first director. Um, so Charles, uh, Charles and, and, and Aaron Zellman, who is the, who developed the show and then Deborah and, and, and the, and the producers. And, you know, you, you read the script, you, you chat a little bit afterwards and, and, uh, you go home and you forget everything that you just said because you were so nervous. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, you get that call later, you know, uh, you know, that they want to see you again and you'd forgotten that you were nervous and now you remember how nervous you were and now you're nervous all over again. So now you go back in and you go through all, all that again, you know, and, and three different times. And then, and then when, uh, the call finally came through, you're literally like two days later, you're, you're off to Atlanta to go shoot, you know, resurrection. And, and that was pretty much the process. It happens very quickly. Um, you got to be able to pick up and go, you got to be able to have, you know, when they send you, you know, new script to read in the audition, you know, literally the night before you got to, uh, that didn't happen on this one, but that does happen. You know, you got to be ready for, uh, for anything pretty much. Um, but once it was cast and we went out, like I said, uh, uh, the cast of resurrection came together like a family very quickly right away. Um, and, uh, 
so, you know, we all supported each other and supported each other's work, and that doesn't happen every time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we got very lucky in some ways, I think, because not only is Resurrection a, a very well-written, well-executed, and well-acted show um, that's very well-received, um, you know, we, we like each other. Um, <laughs> and those, those things don't always go together. You know, sometimes you make a really great show, but, you know, you kind of have to put up with, you know, all kinds of different personalities, and we have the we have the requisite dysfunction that any family has. <laughs> but we're you know we're a family nonetheless, and uh, it's such a it's it's such a privilege, really. It's such a privilege when that happens. Had you worked with any of the actors beforehand? Uh, I had never worked with anybody um, that uh, that's on the show now. Um, so it was it was uh, it was a whole new world you know it was new people and new town and and new directors and it was it was great it's been great it's been a it's been you know fun getting to explore atlanta where we shoot uh it's a beautiful um it's georgia is a beautiful state and uh we shoot a lot of location there because there's such great spots to go shoot and we shoot you know probably 50 50 locations and then you know 50 percent in the studio um yeah, and it's it's been uh, it's been an education. Now, I have to say that you have the weirdest love triangle in TV <laughs> movie history. Your love triangle is the you know, it's funny trying to it, it, the the funnest the best thing about resurrection is explaining it to people who don't are not aware of what the show is about and trying to explain the love triangle to people who haven't seen the show the look in their eyes is just priceless uh uh, i guess uh, if you if you please explain to the audience about the love triangle that your character's in who's a minister oh great yeah you're you're gonna make me do it thanks a lot okay uh uh okay yeah so it's okay so what happens in resurrection is the whole premise of the show is is you know what if those who you love and lost came back to you. That's that's the whole that's the whole setup. And at the beginning of the very first episode, you know, the show opens on this eight-year-old American kid who wakes up in the middle of a, uh, a rice paddy in China, <laughs> and nobody knows who he is or why he's there. You know, an immigration services goes over and gets him, brings him back to the states, takes him to the little house in Missouri that he says he lives at, goes up to the door, knocks on the door. You know, and the 65-year-old couple answers the door, played by Francis Fisher from Titanic and Kurtwood Smith from That 70s Show. And and they say, you know, are you the parents of Jacob Langston? You know, we have him. And they say, yes, Jacob's our son. He died 32 years ago. And then they they, they show him the, the kid, and it's their son, exactly the same as he was as when he drowned. Um, and so the whole town has to kind of react. And I play... Uh, you know, Pastor Tom uh, Hale, who is the, the local pastor of the local church. And the little kid, Jacob, was my best friend when I was eight years old. <laughs> so, you know, I ha- I, here's a guy who's been preaching the miracles of God for 10 years, and then when he sees a real miracle right in front of him, he can't believe that it's true. Of course, because, <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen. Right. So yeah. everybody's dealing with that. And within a couple of episodes, you know, Pastor Tom is walking up his church, and he he sees a trail of blood leading from a broken window, and he walks up to the front of the church, and there's his ex-fiance, uh, who is the next person to return, you know, after after Jacob and, and then um, 
um, another character named Caleb. And, uh, and so there's, you know, Rachel Braidwood. And Rachel is, you know, the way that I set up the backstory was that Rachel's, Rachel's, you know, Rachel was the love of Tom's life. Rachel was his one true love who drove herself off a bridge a month before they were supposed to be married and that he never got resolution about and, um, and was the reason he became a pastor, was the reason that he went to the church and was looking for answers, you know, and trying to figure out the meaning of his life. So here he is, you know, the, the spiritual head of the community, and he's been married, you know, to another woman for, for a number of years who is unfortunately unable to have children. And now Rachel comes back, and not only, you know, does that bring back with it all of the, um, as it turns out, unresolved feelings that Tom has never, you know, really dealt with and faced, um, she's pregnant with his child. And you know what's so awesome about about that? I mean, it's a tough situation, obviously, for your character being, but both women are, both of them are extremely beautiful. Both of them are, they have great qualities about them. So it's like a tough decision for your character. Yeah. It's like, who do you go with? I mean, you know, I mean, you can't go wrong either way, but, you know, both actresses, they're terrific actresses and uh, do fantastic jobs, but, you know, they're both incredibly beautiful. I mean, man, I mean, if we only had that problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you can... Uh... You can certainly go wrong either way. I'll tell you that. Because if you go with if you go with you know your fiance, you know you're going to get hell with your wife, and you're going to have to deal with that. And then of course, if you go with your wife, you know you you have to you have to let go of your 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 first love, mm. you know. And and that's that's and you know what the great thing about resurrection is, um, it was never it, it's it's not exactly a sci-fi show. You know, it's a mm-hmm. drama with a sci-fi element. And, and so it has the best of both worlds, you know, and we treat like the best sci-fi shows. We treat the sci-fi element as a metaphor. It's something that's meant to drive the characters forward and to spur the, the, the dramatic tension. And what I mean by that is, you know, if we're not so concerned with like, who is Jacob really and where did he come from and what happens after he dies and all that other, you know, sort of more mythical stuff. We're more concerned with, okay, now that he's here, how do we deal with that? Mm-hmm. What does that mean about your beliefs, about life, about reality, about who you are? Um, you know, you, you build your, your, your personality. You know, you build your sense of yourself based on the things that happen to you in your life. Um, so, you know, for example, with, with Francis and Kurtwood's characters, you know, that's, that's the most important event probably that's happened to them in their lives. They lost their son. It's the worst thing that could happen to a parent. And so, you know, you have to move forward. You have to do whatever you need to do to move forward with your life, you know, when that happens. So what's, what I love the most about Resurrection is, you know, when he comes back, we're not so concerned particularly with, you know, what happens in the afterlife and how do we explain this or whatever. It's more like, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean to these characters? What does that mean to their lives and how they deal with their lives, you know? And mm-hmm. so with, with, with um, Pastor Tom and, and Rachel and Janine, you know, Rachel, his fiance and Janine, his wife, um, 
you know, it really puts all three of them into this bind of a love triangle like you've never seen because any love triangle has its, <laughs> its share of complications. But in this case, you know, this is something that he never thought he would have to deal with again. And so, you know, when, when something that, you know, is so formative to your, to, your, to your life, you know, one of those events, you know, you lose somebody, and I've lost, it, unfortunately, uh, a couple people in my life, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you move forward the best you can. Um, but how do you ever know you're really over it? Uh, and, you know, if that person were to come back into your life, you know, that's, you'd know pretty quick, Perhaps. you know, <laughs> how much you could be really over it. You know, and how much you hadn't really looked at yet, you know, how much of that is unresolved? How much did you, did you, how many questions did you leave unanswered? Um, so it really, it, it's a wonderful, like, dramatic device because it's the worst possible situation you could be in if you were the spiritual leader of a community to have a spiritual crisis on your hands in your own life. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that, that's what you look for as an actor. You're looking for the highest possible stakes. You know, and that's that's the most exciting stuff to play. You know, it's not just like, you know, uh, you know, it's not just like, you know, I lost my keys. What do I do? You know, it's like I lost the love of my life and now she's back. Right. It, and it's it's great. It's so much fun to play. The thing that's, that I think why the show is so successful in is that, you know, the writing is terrific. The uh, directing is terrific, but the show is well cast and the actors really bring it. You have incredibly talented actors playing the parts and that's what makes it so believable you know Kurtwood Smith who's a fantastic actor who's been around you know for a long time and you know we all remember him from uh, from uh, Robocop and 70s show and all the fantastic stuff he's been a part him and Francis Fisher they do a terrific job and the young man I'm always surprised how well the young actors uh you know, when they really deliver and, um, Landon who plays uh Jacob Langston, that the, he yeah. does a very good job. He's very, and he really, in order for that pilot to really, you know, jump off, he, you know, they had to, they had to cast that character. Right. And he really draws you in, in the, in the um, pilot because it's basically centers around him in the pilot. And I think he does a fantastic job. Um, uh, and you know where they where this young man comes from? Uh, is he uh, is he from Canada? Yeah, yeah. They, no, no, no. They found uh, they found Landon. His name is Landon Gimenez, and they they found him in Texas. Oh wow! And uh, and Resurrection is his first job. Wow! Wow! So he, you know he's he's an impressive little guy, and uh, you know he was he was eight when he was cast, um, and uh, you know when I met him, <laughs> you know a lot of people go like. Are they really related? Because we kind of do look related. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I met him, I, I felt this sort of like, you know, I felt like a father. And uh, his, his parents are great. And he's got a big family. He's got like, he's the youngest of a whole bunch of kids, um, I think four or five. And um, his mom and dad are great. And, uh, you know, they're always there with him and they're very supportive of him. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember talking with his dad when we made the pilot, and I just said, you know, look, because his dad, you know, works, and his mom works, and, you know, it's difficult having a kid in in this industry. Um, you know, I just said to him, look, you know, I'm just going to I'm just gonna look out, you know, for Len, and I'm going to make sure that he's okay, and I'm going to do everything I can. Um, you know, I, obviously, because I started when I was really young, I, you know, all of my 
experience of being that age in this industry, you know, came rushing back to me. And uh, it's uh, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a very difficult place uh, uh, to, to uh, it's, it's a difficult job, never mind for a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's just a little pro, man. You know, he just shows up, says his lines. He's very present. He, you know, he, he, he plays it exactly as it lands. It's intimidating. You're like, this kid's eight. He's really good. Like, I don't think I'm that good. You know, what am I doing? Oh, my God. You know, I've been working for 20 years or whatever. And I'm trying to get as good as, you know, and it's, but it's very natural for him because he doesn't, he doesn't have, uh, um, you know, he doesn't have any of the, uh, the, the limiting, you know, beliefs, the fears, the, you know, the, the things that, you know, inevitably you, you got to work through um, as you as you go through, you know, your career as an actor. But he's in this wonderful place where he's really supported and, and everybody um, on the show really looks out for him and, and genuinely uh, cares about him. Um, and, uh, you know, there's many people on the show who do. And, you know, I know that... Uh, you know, Charles McDougal, who, who shot the pilot, and, you know, the, the, the producers, you know, who uh, cast him, you know, they, they still check in with him, you know, and, and shoot him an email, and, you know, hey, how are you guys doing? And, you know, feel a sense of responsibility um, because it's a very strange world and even stranger if you're, if you're little. Um, but he's, uh, he's a real pro, man. He, he really shows up and, you know, does his work and... and uh, you know, and in the meantime, going to school and getting a tutor and all that stuff. And uh, but he's great. He's just, he's just a great guy. He's just he's a little friend of mine. You know. <laughs> so, with all of the different types of things you've done, talk about the fans. What do people recognize you the most for? Uh, well, you know, at the moment, it's it's definitely a resurrection. You know, because it's uh, it's on it's on the air. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, when something's on the air, you know that most people are gonna <clears throat> recognize you from that. It's it's great, you know, to to get um, um, you know, to get to to talk to to folks once in a while who, you know, know you from this or know you from that, and and you know, the, when the when when they compliment you and the compliment is very genuine, uh, it's it's really it's really wonderful, um, you know. But there's, you know, there's people who know me from V or they. They know me from the tutors or maybe some uh, voiceover work. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, like I say, when it's, when it's a very authentic and genuine interaction, you know, that's, that's wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, get, I get funny looks, you know what I mean? You go through the airport and it, it kind of looks like a dirty look, to be honest with you. you know, like, <laughs> someone's looking at you and their face just kind of goes slack, you know what I mean? Because they're, they're not sure. They think maybe they know you, but they're not sure they do. So, it, it, well, you know, from my end, it looks like they're giving you a dirty look. <laughs> but they're not. You know, they're just trying to figure out who you are. Um, uh, but it's, uh, it's a, you know, it's a double-edged sword, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's really great when you, when you get a real, genuine, authentic compliment. And, you know, and then at the same time, you know, you don't think about it, but sometimes you're just going to the airport, you know what I mean? And you're not necessarily wanting a whole lot of attention. You know, you're just kind of checking in or whatever. Um, and, and so that, that can be a, a challenge at times as well. But mostly, uh, most people are, are really, are really friendly. And, and, um, you know, when, when, uh, you know, when, when, when they're, when they're respectful of you, you feel respectful of them. And that's always, you know, just a great way to start up a conversation with someone. Do you ever have, uh, people 
maybe they'll say a bad word and then they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, Father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so, well, not so much, not so much that, but but uh, you know they will they will say like you know bless me, Father. You know I've sinned, or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like I'm I'm like you know I really wish I could, but I can give you the number of some people who actually could. <laughs> I'm not a priest, but I play one on TV. You know. <laughs> oh man. All right, so we're at the point of the show that we affectionately like to call Rapid Fire, and the way it works is that me and Tara Lynn will pepper you with questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. The first question that I always like to start out with is, a couple of years ago at Coachella, they did a hologram uh, concert for the rapper Tupac. So what dead artist or band would you like to see a hologram concert of? Oh, dead, dead art, like a musician, just musicians. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Well, oh, that's a great question. Um, I'd probably go with Mozart. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. That would be a good one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mozart concert. Be pretty cool to see Mozart conduct an orchestra. <laughs> okay. My question is the song that you wrote, Signs of Life. Was that written about a specific person? Signs of Life uh, was actually inspired by a few different people, but um, uh, Signs of Life is actually the title track of my most recent record, and uh, the whole record was about, had a lot to do with family. Hmm. Family and life and death, and I had lost some people that I loved very much, and then I had some new people, you know, coming into my life, you know, just being born, things like that, and, and Signs of Life, it was sort of about all those people, but mostly about my mom and dad. Oh, okay. What is your favorite guilty pleasure junk food? <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of dark chocolate. Mm, okay. Um, I'm a big fan of dark, like, black licorice, mm-hmm. which people find weird, apparently. Everybody likes the red licorice, but I don't like that. I like the black licorice. Yeah. My, my whole family is British, right? English. Oh, okay. So... All I like sorts. Those, those, those really nasty English candies that nobody likes. Those are the ones that I like. <laughs> yeah. So, um, are you a dog or a cat person? Dog. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have a uh, I have a French bulldog uh, named Aww. Dublin who I got right after I finished working on the tutors, and I named him after the city. And uh, he is. Uh, I, I grew up with dogs. You know, I grew up with black labs, but I have a. I have a little Frenchie, and he's just the most loving little creature you'd ever meet in your life. He's fantastic. All right. If you were to get married and you had to pick between Pastor Tom Hale and and uh, Cardinal Poole as the efficient yeah. of, the, of the service, which one would you pick? Oh, come on. Tom Hale for sure. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. It's definitely Tom Hale. No. Cardinal Poole is way too stuffy. Way too stuffy. You know, he's too, he's too much in <laughs> He's too much of an introvert. I'd be afraid that Cardinal Paul would like screw up the vows or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Okay, so um put you on the spot. If you were to have to do a voice right now of one of your past voices, who would it be? Hmm. Oh, you're gonna make me do it, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I have to pick wisely. Oh. <clears throat> um you know, uh goodness. Uh, well, because I mentioned it, I guess, uh, you know, the, uh, the voice of Sten in, 
in Dragon Age was uh, was one that, that that people seemed to like a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're waiting for me to do it, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, he was he would sound something like this. I am Sten of the Beresad. <laughs> I like awesome. it. I like it. All right. Now, your co-star Omar Epps, I don't know if you know this, but he he did rap in the, I don't know mm-hmm. if he's still doing that. So, would we ever get a uh would we ever get a Mark Hildreth and Omar Epps collaboration album? Uh if we did, I wouldn't be rapping. <laughs> uh he could. He uh-huh. could. Uh <laughs> Omar is uh Omar actually, you know, had his own uh, record label for a while and uh and he's uh as far as i know you know I've, i haven't really talked to him about it a whole lot but i i know that he's uh he's supported a few different artists and uh that he's done a lot of stuff uh himself and he's got some guys that he works with that are that are great but uh you know you never know never say never all right what next for mark what what's the job you haven't done yet you want to do hamlet hmm Oh, good one. Um, yeah, I. Uh, uh, it's it's sort of a funny thing to say, but I've I've never read um, I've never read a character that I felt was more close to me. Like I read Hamlet, and I go like, I totally get it, totally get where you're coming from, man. Um, so you know, it's a, it's a role that I've I've gotten to do in in a in a couple of different you know sort of. Uh, varieties uh but i've never done a i've never gotten to do yet a uh you know a full production uh you know properly in the theater uh of hamlet so that's uh you know that's 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 one of my dreams is to is to you know to do a hamlet and and take it take it to broadway or take it to london and uh and and really knock a hamlet out of the park because it's uh it's such an important play for so many reasons mm-hmm. um and it's so relevant uh, in, in so many different ways. Um, but it's, uh, it's one of those, you know, one of those things, you know, actors say they have that one role that's just, you know, burning to get out of them. And, uh, that's the one for me. Okay. Now we're going to close on this one, being that you are based out of Los Angeles, primarily we're going to tailor it to LA. So you got to help a brother out. A young man yeah. is is going out on a date in Los Angeles, and he needs <laughs> Mark's advice. He's taking a young lady out on the town. He needs you to give him the uh, what date he should take the young lady out. So you got to plan his date for him to help him out. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> okay. Well, he's he's asking the wrong guy. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> he's in trouble. <laughs> could, he's in trouble. He's in trouble already, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't know what people do on dates. Dating, even like dating, the concept of dating is like kind of hard to wrap your head around. I think, but uh, you know, I uh, I would say um, take them to uh, Sugarfish, and okay. Sugarfish is a sushi restaurant, and there's a few of them around. But they were um, it's a it's a chain of restaurants that was started a few years ago. By, by this guy Nozawa, and Nozawa was um, when he's retired. But when he when he was making sushi, he was uh, Maurice Lamarche, actually the the voiceover artist I was telling you about, mm-hmm. who won all the Emmys. Mm-hmm. He took me to go to go to Nozawa's sushi restaurant, which was 
in the valley. And it was this little place, you know, and it was like, the decor was like, it was like, you know, halogen lighting and like, you know, like these like old like wax flowers sitting in the corner that like literally hadn't been dusted in like 25 years, you know, and, and like a, you know, like a, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a drinks, you know, like freezer, like right there in the middle of the restaurant, like just the worst decor ever, the best sushi you've ever had in your life. Oh, wow. And, and, and Mr. Nozawa would, would, you know, he, there he was behind the counter every night making sushi and he'd kick you out if you ordered a California roll. <laughs> you know I mean? He was like, no, no. And you, eat, and you ate what he served you. Oh, wow. And it, honestly, it was the best sushi uh, in L.A. So he, he uh, when he retired, he opened uh, this chain of restaurants called Sugarfish, and there's there's one now in Hollywood, and there's there's a bunch. But it is it's it's something else, man. It's like it's great sushi, and it still has the essence of you can't get kicked out, so it's not quite the same, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was better. It was better when you could get kicked out because it was sort of like you know, am I actually going to eat or am I going to get kicked out? Who knows? <laughs> but uh, but it's it's uh, it's quite something. I, I'd say. I'd say sushi in a movie. That that'd be a pretty safe bet. I like it. I like it. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on the show tonight. Yeah, thanks. absolutely. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. And um, so what? Uh, we don't want to be spoiled, but what can we expect from? Because I know you guys are off until the thirtieth, I believe. So what can we expect uh, for the rest of the season of uh, Resurrection? Uh, uh, more of the same great stories and all that stuff. So. <laughs> All right, look, I'm going to tell you guys something, and I haven't told anybody else this. Yeah. I haven't done any other interviews, you know, where I've mentioned this. But just because of the timing and, you know, that, that, that we've got a couple weeks before the next episode, I'm going to tell you guys something. Something is going to happen in this episode that is going to change the way everybody looks at resurrection forever afterwards. Really? Okay, this is right. the, episode, the episode that's coming up, the eighth episode of the season, is a seminal episode in the, in the second season of Resurrection, and there's an event that happens in this episode that changes the lives of every character on the show irrevocably forever, and it's going to really blow people away, and it's not just like, you know, just another plot twist. It's like a major, it's the major event probably, you know, of the second season that's going to change, you know, change everything on the show. Um, for, you know, forever, for as long as the show lasts. And is um, it out of the so, book or past the book? No, no, it's, it's not. We're, we're actually, you know, the book, uh, The Returned by Jason Mott, which is, which is what Resurrection is, sort of takes its jumping off point from. We, uh, you know, it's sort of more of a, we have the essence of the book. We take, um, we take our sort of, um, our beginning point was, was really what the, the story of the book, but the series uh, resurrection really uh, goes goes in its own direction. It has its own life. So we're not really so much following um, what what happened in the returned in the book. Um, but no, it's it is. I'll tell you, it is something that nobody is going to expect. It comes completely out of the blue. So uh, you know, all I can say is, stay tuned. I I can't wait, and I'll be Me watching. Too. I will definitely be watching it. It's been a pleasure. And and um, will, are you going to be performing live in any anywhere? Uh, well, you know, we're we're still filming, so you know, oh. I'm kind of uh, I, you. You guys just happened to catch me when I was uh, I had a little time off. Um, but uh, I'm going to be, uh, you know, we're we're in Atlanta still. I'm uh, I'm going to be flying back there uh, in a couple of days, and uh, 
we're going to be shooting through till the end of the year. So um, we're still making the show. And then after that, um, I will be playing. Uh, most likely I'll be playing in, in L.A. So, um, you know, if, uh, if folks want to check out and, and come and check me out and, and hear some, some great music and hang out with some good people, um, you know, always check into uh, markhildreth.com. That's where I, uh, you know, I always post, uh, you know, everything that I'm doing musically. And uh, there's a little community of people there who, uh, you know, share uh, the same ideas and, and like to uh, talk about some of the same things. So, you know, you can always log in there and, and join in the conversation and, and find out, um, you know, little tidbits about resurrection and, and other stuff that I'm doing and, and always see uh, concert dates as they come up. All right. Okay. And uh, also, too, on Twitter, you, uh, what is your Twitter? Yeah, it's Twitter. Uh, it's Hildreth Mark. Hildreth Mark. All right. I'm on Twitter as Hildreth Mark, and then I'm on Instagram as Mark Hildreth. All right. So now, if you fellas, if you you're gonna go to Sugarfish, and then you're gonna you're gonna have your lady watch some uh, Resurrection, and then <laughs> after that, we're yeah. gonna, you're gonna go see Mark uh, live playing. So there you, you go, go see Mark, and then you're gonna go home. You're gonna put on some Signs of Life, <laughs> and you're gonna make some babies, maybe. There yeah. you go. <laughs> And then, and then Pastor Hill well, will christen the baby. There's some musicians that I know that, that their greatest compliment was, you know, somebody would come up to, like, you know, uh, whoever it was, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and say, like, hey, man, I love that song. I made my son to your song. And they're, yeah. that's the greatest compliment you could have given me. You know? and, and, uh, and Pastor Hale will christen the baby as well. <laughs> Yeah, but not exactly. not in the exactly. the the uh, the lake with uh, the, the the skulls and bones. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't want to do that. No, that's no fun for anybody. That lake was cold. Let me tell you that. <laughs> oh my god, that that was yeah, that was funny. <laughs> all right, you, um, uh, Tara Lynn, Twitter and uh, Facebook and all that good stuff. Yeah, you can find me on both. Uh, just Tara Lynn. All right, and you can get me at Kente F. Uh, we'll be back Thursday for the spotlight at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern on IndieRadio.org. And as well on Saturday, we have the season finale of Hell on Wheels. We'll be joined by the writer of that episode, John Romano, as well as actor Don Norwood, uh, who plays Psalms on the show. And then on Saturday, we'll be covering The Walking Dead. I'm sorry, on Sunday, we'll be covering The Walking Dead uh, episode 7, I believe. So uh, that's what we have going on. And then, you know, we're off for the for the Thanksgiving uh, week. So uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving as well. All right. So we'll catch you next time right here on the Spotlight Hollywood Edition. Good night.